Hello and welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks, Deputy Editor of Eco Business. On today's show, which is sponsored by Dan Foss, we're going to be talking about keeping cool in a warming world. Although air conditioning doesn't tend to make many headlines, it's a hot topic among energy experts and climate scientists. Systems that keep us cool are among the biggest guzzlers of energy in Southeast Asia. As the region gets hotter, more populous and more affluent, air conditioning is set to account for 40% of Southeast Asia's electricity demand by 2040. The president of the International Energy Agency recently called cooling the global energy market's biggest blind spot as the world tries to figure out how to decarbonise to stop runaway climate change. But we can't really expect people to live without cooling as temperatures rise. So how can we provide affordable, efficient cooling that doesn't cost the earth? To get some answers, we have on the show today Soren Kvorning, Asia-Pacific President of Danfoss, and Dave McInnes, Director of Business Development for Cooling as a Service firm CARE. Soren has been with Dan Foss for the last nine years, just over a year as Asia-Pacific President, and prior to that, he led sales across the region. Dave has been with CARE for an equal amount of time and runs business development, marketing and communications for the company. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Good afternoon. First, a question uh, for you, Soren. What do you see as the most exciting technologies on the market right now that can put a dent in Asia's cooling crunch? Well, I, I think there are several technology trends which are evolving uh, these years. And if you look from a sustainability point of view, uh, as of today, I think the, the greenhouse gas emissions is uh, coming around 8% of the total global emissions are coming from cooling applications. So there are various trends which are driving uh, reduced uh, greenhouse gas emissions from cooling. And, and one of them is clearly the change in the refrigerant gas. Uh, so some of the Latest technology trends, as we see there, is uh, going towards more natural gases as a refrigerant. We, uh, uh, of course, also see various uh, trends on uh, the compressor efficiency, where we see the oil-free compressors are coming more and up uh, to the to the market trend. And if you look from a little more, let's say, uh, other perspective, the digitalization is clearly improving our ability to control the cooling applications in much smarter ways and that calls for much more partnerships across the industry where technologies are developed or co-developed and co-operated among several partners and I also believe it opens up for several new business models which will drive a more sustainable future for, for, for the people and the goods across the world. Interesting business models is is very much your field, Dave, working for CARE, a cooling as a service company. Tell us a bit about uh, the new business models that are emerging in this part of the world and how they can tackle that, the cooling crunch, as I mentioned. Yeah, so maybe I can give you a bit of background as to why we developed it. And I think we were looking at technologies and equipment, um, and we did see there were these benefits to moving to sort of newer technology, more efficient technology. But the real question came around the uptake of that technology. And if you have this new stuff coming out, how do you make sure building owners have access to it and are actually using it? Um, and so what we sort of did a study and looked at different companies and how they were giving uh, better levels of service to their customers. And we looked around outside of our industry. And if you look at any of the big sort of uh, brands that you see today that everyone's familiar with, the Grabs, the Netflix, the uh, um, Spotify's, 
the one thing that they all had in common was that they're all providing their business as a service and they're not selling products, they're selling services. So we essentially had this, we sort of looked at the different business models and we saw this as a service business model, as a real opportunity to A, do what we do and B, give a better level of service to our customers. Um, because one of the things we found with the adopt, uh, adoption of technology is um, it's a real hassle sometimes because it's not necessarily in your line of work. If you're a, um, a data center owner or if you're a shopping mall owner, really getting into the technology about air conditioning can be quite daunting and overwhelming. So what we tried to do is move to that business model so we could take on all of that. Um, and so what we do now is we design and build these air conditioning systems in commercial buildings. We own all of the equipment. We run all of the equipment, which means most importantly, from a sustainability angle, we pay for the water that it uses. We pay for the electricity that it uses. And then we just sell cold air. Um, so we call it care air, but it's air conditioning as a service. Um, and so what that does is it puts all of the onus on using technology and new systems and new artificial intelligence platforms and things like that to someone like Care, who loves doing it and is interested in doing it, and takes it all that responsibility off the building owner who just wants to buy 23 degrees comfortable air or four degrees if it's a cold room or something like that. Um, so that's sort of why we developed the business model so that we could get these technologies into the market quicker. Yeah. Um, you mentioned buildings and, and cold air. Um, it is pretty cold um, in this building, for example, as we mentioned earlier. Um, Soren, I want to talk about uh, culture and what you believe can drive a culture of more sensible cooling in this part of the world. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, first of all, a very relevant topic to, to touch base on. One thing is to deploy the new technologies and scale them up in terms of building masses, et cetera, et cetera. The other one is clearly the behaviors, which to high uh, level of degree is influenced by knowledge, knowledge sharing and education of the market. So one thing is you are educating the end users and the building owners in installing, or maybe even new business models are fostering and scaling up that retrofit, which is a clear need to reduce the, the energy consumption and the impact on our environment. But it's not only about that, it's also about the envelope of the building. So one thing is to deploy the newest and best technologies in, in the um, cooling application itself, but it's equally important, it's thought in during the design of the building. And uh, here I will believe that uh, knowledge sharing and education in the market is key. Uh, and as an example from Danfoss point of view, we are not only promoting and pushing our products uh, out in the field, we are also uh, making various uh, free of charge trainings available. We move uh, expertise, including uh, it can be mobile containers with the whole application and simply educate uh, the market, uh, mainly in contractors, installers, owners. And, and online, we are touching a much larger base of people related to the understanding and the knowledge about the opportunities for reducing our, let's say, global impact of the need for cooling. And cooling is becoming not only uh, something we are, we are having in, in terms of comfort, it's becoming a right for our food production, for our uh, well-being in any room we are in. So the knowledge about the envelope and how to secure demand control, closing doors, uh, closing cracks around window frames, etc., etc., is uh, an incredible need in order to really make our, let's say, effort in order to, to also keep the the, the, the the planet cool, so to speak. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. People, especially in Singapore, this part of the world, they seem to expect buildings to be cool. 
um, and conditioned, air conditioned. Um, Dave, yeah, similar question for you. How can how can you encourage building owners who don't necessarily care about cooling to care about cooling? So I think for us, it's always led by the customer or the tenant or the guest who's in that space and in that building, which is how do you give that person a better experience when they're in your buildings? And actually, air conditioning plays a huge part of that. So I I think air conditioning is a right. I mean, if you look at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's the base pillar or the base of that pyramid, which says you need to have food, you need to have water, some say warmth or or shelter, Mm -hmm. and then some say rest or sleep. So that, that whole idea of have a conditions that makes you feel comfortable. That's a basic human requirement and need that everybody should have. I think the issue that we have is that we don't have enough um, technology put into these buildings which allows customers or t- allows people within the buildings to feed back to their comfort systems and their building systems how they're feeling. So if you did a study, so we do numerous studies all the time and every year, um, how many people are too hot in Singapore, how many people are too cold in Singapore, and it is 50-50 split. Every half of them are too hot and half of them are too cold. And basically what that's saying is that our systems can deliver the conditions we want, but we're not delivering it to the right people at the right time. So now with the, the, uh, the phones that we all have in our pockets, the cheapness of sensors that we all have, the ways of communicating between people back to a building, I think you'll find that's gonna be one of the biggest changes and one of the biggest technology changes is buildings are gonna be able to understand what people want. Um, and that includes when they're too cold. So you're right, I mean, we walk into a room like this and it's freezing and everyone is uncomfortable, which is a bad user experience. The building owner is paying more for the, the energy consumption So it, and then the environment loses. So it's three losers. But if we could have a system whereby we could actually easily tell the air conditioning system directly how we feel, they could turn the set point up and then everyone would win. Um, so I think you'll find that coming a lot more um, in the future. And we're looking at a lot of technologies now that which allows you to do that. Um, but one of the key things, sorry to harp on it, the, one of the key things is that you need to take building managers out of that loop because there's just so many complaints that are coming in. If you're, if you're sort of managing a building, you'll get 50, 60 complaints an hour sometimes in these big buildings. So you need to have a way where these complaints can be put into a building system and act, actioned autonomously. Otherwise, it's just too much data and too much uh, to work with. And cooling is critical, obviously, to, to climate change and energy use. Um, what are the sort of interesting policy interventions um, that you're seeing in this region, Soren, about um, tackling the cooling crunch? Yeah. Uh, again, there are various elements here, and I, I think the, uh, some of the, the global measures towards uh, different gases, etc., is starting to pay off. We see more and more focus on that. We still need to make sure that we have an affordable and sustainable cooling for all also after these uh, changes are coming in place. There are also various uh, green building uh, marks, etc., which will drive some of that uh, change and development. And I think uh, in general, there is uh, coming now a carbon tax in, in a country like Singapore, as an example, this will drive some of these changes. So I think from a political landscape, there are several measures which is pushing towards and enforcing uh, the deployment of new technologies. We we still have the challenge, uh, as Dave also mentioned, that at least between the lines that we have owners who are operating the building, we have uh, only seen a few of the business models that CARE is is driving. And that actually means that the tenants are never the ones installing the the equipment, they just pay the bill. And that is uh, limiting the scaling up of the the deployment of these uh, new technologies. The challenge we face is that, as I mentioned in the beginning, 8% of all emissions, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, are coming from cooling. If we don't do something now, this will increase to 15% within some years. 
simply because uh, the growing middle class, the first thing we buy when we get uh, a little pocket money is a fridge or it's an aircon to keep either products or uh, the body uh, in, in comfort. And that will in itself increase the energy consumption, the greenhouse gas emissions will go up. So it's really about time that we drive some of these changes into it. And I believe that the UN, the local political policymakers and various organizations are clearly driving in that direction. From an environment point of view, I think we should accelerate these changes in order to actually make uh, our ambition in the Paris COP21 uh, agreements and so on become a reality. Mm, indeed, the COP talks are going on again. D- Dave, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I think from a, from a policy perspective, I think, the, especially here locally, if we're talking Singapore, they've done great things in terms of changing the conversation. The conversation used to be, can I have sustainable cooling? Um, now that it's sort of becoming mandatory with all of the compliance and, and the policies that are being put in place, the question is now changed to how can I have a sustainable cooling system. But I think that's as far as it can go. I think the next step, which is an open and honest question about why don't we have them now, is not a question that policy can answer. I mean that we need to look at our, our business models and our setups and our structures and saying, if if we know we need to have this, these sustainable cooling systems, if we know we have the technology, so some a lot of the products and, and technology that are coming out of companies like Sorens, um, they're there and they're available and they're, they can be used. Um, so the next question is, why isn't everybody using them? Um, the business case has been made, the case studies are there, but it's still is sort of holding back. I think in Singapore, about 37% of buildings are certified as green, um, which is the second best in the world. I think Paris is the, the top green mm. city uh, voted globally. Singapore is number two, but it's still only 37%. So where's the other 60 odd percent? And, when, and how long is that going to take? So I think with, with new business models, we can then say, okay, the uptake of this technology can come a lot quicker. And that's why I think we can't necessarily rely on policy. We sort of need to do it from a, a business perspective. Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about business and, and the, your view on the extent to which businesses value cooling. Um, Soren, do you want to take that on? Particularly in the, the context of sustainable development goals, a lot of businesses are talking about how to, to help um, uh, and build a business around SDGs. How does that, that work in the, the context of cooling? Well, I, I just want to follow up on, on the words before from, from David. It's, it's not only about the why we are not. We also need to ask ourselves, uh, how do we make it happen? I don't think anybody in this world will be against of actually making it happen. But, but there are clearly a need for more information, more knowledge about the business models which can drive it. We also need to secure funding for actually making it happen. And by that, uh, there's absolutely uh, absolutely no reason for why not having it today. The technologies are available for sure. Various industries, to come a little back on your your question here, are driving some of these uh, technologies uh, also into their marketing uh, perspectives and then pushing out uh, our factories like this and so on and so on. And to put a little in, in perspective from a, from a Danfoss point of view, although we are not the companies having the most cooling processes in our factories, but, but one of the, the previous years, we increased our volume in the factories by 11%, and we only increased our energy consumption measured in kilowatt hours or units with 1.5%. So there is very good proof today that it is possible. And that will be the same in, in the industries today with the food manufacturing processing industry the whole distribution channel from farm to fork. And the need is only increasing as we also see an increased urbanization, especially in Southeast Asia, where we have 
up to, I think it's about 40 million people moving into cities every day or every year. That means a need for transporting more food. There are changes in the food behavior. So I believe that we will see new food companies coming up or food manufacturing companies and societies where it simply becomes the mandatory need to have a kind of a stamp also in your sustainability marks on, on what is the energy consumption, what is the greenhouse gas emissions from manufacturing of these products. Yeah. So it's the user which will drive this in the end of the day. Um, Dave, a question for you around the SDGs and how businesses can value uh, cooling from that context. So, so I have a little bit of a controversial view of the SDGs. And I think when you, you're talking to people, of course, the SDGs make sense. Every single person would agree with every single one of those, those development goals. Um, but when you look from a business perspective, they, they often can sort of combat business profitability. So you think of what's happened just now in America with sort of Trump pulling out of the, the Paris Agreement. He didn't do it because he doesn't believe in climate change. He absolutely does. The, 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 uh, the evidence is there. Everyone understands that climate change is happening. But he didn't want to prioritize fixing that over short-term gains. And I think that's where you have to be realistic and say, look, if you're a coal mining country, the UN SDGs, or the, the specifically the one around climate action, doesn't necessarily help you very much because you make coal. You have a very dirty business, um, which is, you know, people are acquiring that. So if you're one of those sort of companies, then climate action might be quite difficult or quite anti your business because you either need to throttle it back and do less of it, or you've got to invest your profits into carbon taxes and things like that, which can offset some of the uh, negative impacts you're having. So I think from a business perspective, you can understand why people would have that a little bit of apprehension around how we can align businesses with UN SDGs. Where I think the positive message is, is that if you don't think of the UN SDGs as goals or objectives, from a business perspective, I think of them more as the, lar the single largest consumer research study ever conducted. Essentially what they've done is they've gone around the world and spoken to every single consumer in every single country, in every single asset class or every single um, industry, and said, what are you looking for? And basically, just like Soran, you mentioned the urbanization, that's a trend which is going to pull consumers for acquiring services. The UN SDGs are that now. They're pulling consumers to requiring your services. So people will be demanding climate action within their businesses and services. So if you think about that, then you need to change your business or your business model to deliver against that because your consumers are about to take a massive shift to the right. And if you don't move, you're not going to be relevant to them anymore. Um, and so I think that's a really positive message that we give to a lot of the business owners, um, which is it's not about saving the environment or doing these wonderful things, which as humans, we of course agree with, but it's about the fact that your business is about to be totally disrupted by someone who's in that space if you don't move to that space. And the other thing is they're gonna get more and more relevant. So if you think, for example, one of them is um, uh, good health and well-being, um, there's something around air quality. If you think that's important now, how important do you think that's going to be in 5, 10, 15 years' time? So this is sort of going to accelerate and accelerate over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And businesses that don't align themselves to these will find they don't have businesses much longer. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and for, for sustainable to, uh, cooling to take root, um, we need governments, businesses and civic society to work together, right? Um, any suggestions on, on how, to, how best to do that in your view? I think really it calls for, for partnership. Uh, you mentioned a lot about the users and, and what is the economical aspects in driving these changes, which is a mandatory need. Although we can prove, uh, you mentioned it also, we have business cases with a return on investment less than two years. So what is it that is actually holding it back? 
And I think uh, in order to really get the scale in these changes, it requires partnerships between uh, governments, between uh, policymakers, between uh, industries, corporates, uh, the users and, and the consumers of, of basically food. Uh, we, we need to be much more ambitious in the targets we set and we need to be much more ambitious in the requirements we are setting to suppliers uh, and the whole society needs uh, somehow to... I, I think we, we need some policy which is sort of uh, encouraging uh, the society to actually make it happen. And I think uh, Singapore is a, normally a good example on how we incentivize things like this. We also penalize if if we are not making these uh, ambitions happen. And I think the whole world will really needs to, to step up on some of these activities. And from a business point of view, we can all uh, take our own medicine. There's no need or no reason for waiting. And I think we owe the world, our children and, and all of us to actually take action and make some of it happen. Mm, absolutely. Dave, what do you see as the sort of challenges and obstacles that stand in the way to for uh, sustainable cooling? Uh, well, I think a lot of the, the, the challenges and obstacles are the same as they were for the last, you know, sort of two decades, three decades. But I think what will change in allowing us to address them is that we're about to get a huge amount of data from consumers and building users in spaces that will make us listen. I think at the moment that, like Simon was mentioning, that the, the tenant or the, the person in the building doesn't really have a voice at the moment. Um, but as soon as you give them these phones with these sensors and the ability to talk directly to you, they're going to start getting this voice and then we're going to start overcoming them. And I think that'll be very, very, you'll, you'll quickly see the uptake of new technologies, the uptake of new business models when basically business owners can realize that they're not giving a very good experience to their customers or they could give a better one to their customers. So for example, we're sat in here and you said it's quite cold in here. No one has told the building owner that we're cold, so he doesn't know. If you're hot in here, someone will tell the building owner. Um, if you're cold, you'll put on a cardigan or a jacket or a jumper. Um, so I think when you sort of have these technologies which allow them to really understand their consumers, which most other companies have, right? There's loads of customer research. Everyone's trying to understand their customers. When building owners have that ability, which they don't really have today, I think you'll find it'll be a lot easier for them to make them happier. I'd like to add one here, where I fully agree that all the, the methodologies of giving feedback from the users and the consumers when we talk about air conditioning is key. But we cannot ask a, a stake in the fridge to give the same feedback. So I also believe that the digitalization and the artificial intelligence will make it a lot easier for the building itself actually to predict the use and the comfort of the people or the products inside the box or the house. So I, I think we will see a lot more of that automated uh, in, in the f relatively short uh, time frame. And then we already now see technologies which can really predict the use of a building, et cetera, et cetera. And that will be deployed to the building management system and controlling the, the cooling when we talk about air conditioning. And, and clearly, when, when you are moving uh, products, it can be medi medical products or it can be food. Uh, the, the, the need for artificial intelligence to keep it safe is, is key for, for the use of that in the future. Mm. Um, question, final question for you chaps about a vision for the future in a warming world. I mean, all the predictions, all the trends point to, to a fairly bleak future, let's be honest. But how, well, how, what sort of future can we get to in the concepts of cooling that, that is a bright one? Oh, so I'm, I'm fairly optimistic. Uh, I find your f two main visions that we see for the future at CARE. The first is personalized comfort. 
which I think has a lot of implications for sustainability, but a lot more implications for customer experience within the buildings. So we see a future whereby, and what I'm about to explain is, is all the technology is available today. It's, it's not rocket science, it's not that difficult. You can take out your iPhone or your, your phone, you can scan your face and you can say, I like these particular conditions, I have asthma, I have these sort of requirements, and I log on and whenever I go into any space, any comfort space, basically it'll follow me. If I like it to be colder, it'll make it cooler. If I like it to be warmer, it'll make it warmer. Um, if I'm asthmatic, maybe I'll have more air changes or better filtration on the air conditioning system. That is all 100% available today. So I think the customer experience point of view, we will find, we will eliminate all of these issues that we all have with indoor air quality and with comfort, um, and we'll overcome that, which I think is a, a massive step forward. Um, the other thing I see is that because of these technologies which will become adopted, um, and because we have so much more information and knowledge than we used to, I don't see any reason why air conditioning systems can't be 100% renewable. So we already have sites in India and in Singapore which are 100% renewable. All of the electricity comes from solar panels, all of the water is recycled, and that's available because we use a lot of these technologies that we've been talking about to bring down the energy consumption. So it makes it possible to do. So as you see uh, an explosion of refrigerators and air conditioning units in, in India and in China, that's going to become very, very important that we get these business models that allow us to essentially bring down the consumption to a level so that renewables can, can make up the difference. And I don't see that not happening. I mean, it absolutely will happen. It'll take time and it'll, it'll maybe take a bit longer than we had hoped, um, but it's already starting to happen. Mm. So the future, you're optimistic. No, but... Uh, Dave has very good perspectives here, and I, th I think we also need to consider cooling uh, as a non-individual application. And if you consider a lot of the cooling uh, efforts and the cooling today is happening in supermarkets, hypermarkets, uh, restaurants, and so on. And still, when we do that in a supermarket today, we waste a lot of heat in the other way around. And that uh, heat waste could actually be taken into the renewable loop again and reused. And uh, the cooling can also be used in the energy storage uh, trend coming up in the world where you can, uh, I mean, make an ice blocks and you can use that in peak periods as a, as a source of energy. So I think uh, we have exhaust cooling and we have exhaust heat uh, and all of that can go into the same loop of renewables. And I think I can only echo that the technology is, is already here today. So it's a matter of making it work. And then for the future, uh, when it comes to health and productivity, cooling is a clear prerequisite for all the people in the world. So I think the, the target of sustainable energy for all, no matter if we are adding one billion people or not, uh, is, a, is a fine ambition. I think the question is when. And uh, I would like to see a more accelerated journey towards uh, making that a reality. So you're optimistic? Yes, for sure. Okay, it's a great place to leave it. Thank you very much, Soren, and thank you very much, Dave, for joining us on the Eco Business Podcast. Thanks, it's a pleasure. Thank you. This podcast was hosted by Eco Business at the SDG Co, a co-working space for sustainable development organizations in Asia. Eco Business is the leading digital media company serving the region's sustainability community. This episode is part of the podcast series, Tomorrow's Cities, Engineering the Energy Transition, which is supported by Dan Foss. Dan Foss engineers energy efficient and smart technologies, which enable the world of tomorrow to do more with less. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media, or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.